Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to another episode, episode 12 of Round Trippers. I am Austin Spiro. I am your host. Thank you for joining us. We got another good one for you today. We have more guests on, two weeks in a row of more guests. Last week, we had Henry and Vince from Dong City from the Baseball Life Facebook group. And this week, we have the hosts from the other podcast from Baseball Life Facebook group, Sean and Felipe from the Total Bases podcast are here. Guys, thank you for um, coming on today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us, man. I, I always like to be on your show uh, just to you know, change the pace to what Sean and I normally do. Uh, I already explained what our show was the last time I was here. But uh, Sean, why don't you give us your take on what the Total Bases podcast is all about? Oh, that, that it, it's an interesting one because, you know, when it started off, we didn't want to be purely fantasy related. And then we were like, well, that, that's kind of our niche. You know, Donk City has the, the hot takes and we have the more analytically minded. And that was when we came up with that idea was, you know, to be the more analytically minded, both the major leagues and the minor leagues and really just get in depth and, you know, touch all of the bases, which led to Total Bases Podcast. Yeah. That's, uh, that's always been the goal is to kind of mesh both worlds together, uh, both the fantasy and the real baseball together. So, uh, and it just happened that the way to do it is through being the statistically driven uh, podcast, which is, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I mean, that, that's the only type of podcast that I like listening to when it comes to baseball, you know. Uh, I, I talk to Sean all the time. Hey, did you listen to that other, you know, I'm not going to name any podcasts because they don't pay us, damn it. But did you listen to this particular podcast? And he's already, oh, yeah, yeah, I listened to it already. And, uh, you know, what's his face brings up an interesting point, but here's where I disagree. And we're just basically talking numbers. I mean, well, not necessarily numbers because uh, and I don't want to scare people away, but it is, it is, uh, let's put it this way, Austin. It's pretty fact based what we do around here. So it's like the Bernie Sanders meme analytics. Analytics. Get every, get, yeah, get everyone like real scared. Analytics. Oh my God. And then everybody turns into cockroaches when the lights turn on. Yeah. Swinging strike rate. Oh. You know, I like I like the hot takes. The hot takes are fine, but if you're gonna have a hot take, I better see some numbers to back it up. You know, that's always my thing. I like the combination of both the numbers and the eye test. If you're not out there looking and you're only looking at the numbers, there's probably a problem there. But you know, I if you are gonna have some sort of hot take. You need the numbers to back it up. For sure. I mean, and it's not that we're bashing Vince and Henry because I think they do a really good job of uh, – they're really good at, uh, at contractual talk and, and the rumors. And, and Vince, uh, as, as some of the far-off comments or hot takes that he has, I mean, they're pretty well thought out and they're very valid. It's not like, you know, Stephen A. Smith talking about baseball or Skip, <laughs> Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless, yeah. <laughs> They're not just, you know, he's not making this stuff up out of, out of his ass and then just, yeah. here's my take. You got to like it because it's my opinion and that's it. No, he, he, they're pretty well thought out. Um, I mean, we, I don't always agree with everything he has to say. I mean, that's just the nature of the game that we play. For we sure. don't agree on everything. I don't agree on a lot of stuff that Sean has to say or what Henry has to say or even what Austin has to say. But uh, we, we, I mean, I like to think that we all like to keep it civil and, go back and forth as opposed to uh pressing the um the deuce ex machina and just start going you know start insulting people and calling each other all types of names and going after family and going after kids and wives like we've seen on uh what happens in social media in general so oh for sure yeah no it's um it's really great place uh, we've talked about it a few times it's a really great place to discuss baseball baseball um, life I, I forgot to mention the name it's yeah. baseball life it's the facebook group on uh it's, it's called baseball life sorry go ahead yeah, so it's a really great place. We've mentioned it a couple times on this podcast now. Um, 
You know what, though? As many hot takes as they have, Vince and Henry, there's been a number of them this year. I'm like, you know what? They got that right. That was okay. I didn't think they were going to pull that one off, but they got it right. So, all right. <laughs> yeah. no, like I said, they're very well thought out, uh, you know, well thought out uh, hot takes, so to speak. I don't even like to call them hot takes. I don't know what exactly to call them, but it's, yeah, like I said, it's not like they're, you know, pulling them out of their ass like other people do. Yeah, so For sure. Yeah. Baseball life. Better than ESPN. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's a good motto. That's a good motto. (laughs) If you are tired of ESPN, come to baseball life. We're better. Um, (laughs) Screw you, Skip Bayless and Stephen A. Smith. Uh, All right. So let's move from the banter to – well, Sean, I'm glad you are on here because um, for those of you that don't know, Sean is a Mets fan, um, and I'm pretty sure – He's been uh, crying in a hole somewhere because the last couple weeks for the Mets have uh, not been very good, to say the least. Um, I'll just go over a little bit of the collapse that is the Mets right now. In the last 10 games, last time I checked anyway, in the last 10 games, this was a couple days ago, so it may have changed. They're 2-8 and eight, um, in the month of August when I checked. They were 6-15. and 15. Again, this was a couple days ago. Uh, they, are, they were 14-13 and 13 in July. At the beginning of August, they were 55 and 49 and three and a half games ahead of Philadelphia and four ahead of the Atlanta Braves. Now they're right around 61 and 63, seven games behind Atlanta and two games behind Philadelphia. And they, so that's a loss of a total of about 11 games to Atlanta and five and a half to Philadelphia in less than a month. Um, so we'll start with the Mets fan of the, of the group today, Sean. You've got your uh, nacho bucket hat on today that has the Mets logo. There we go. Felipe didn't notice. We've been talking for 15 minutes. I'm wearing the nacho batting helmet because I couldn't find my other hat and I just showered and my hair's a mess. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's um, uh, fits. Yeah, hey, it was it was a big thing of nachos. It was like twenty bucks, so it uh, should have well, been a big thing. Because well, you have a pretty big head, you know. Yeah, that, I mean that's it. That's you have, it. A, you have a huge ego, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so why the Mets have struggled? Uh, obviously, this is not how a lot of Mets fans anticipated the season going. Uh, they were in first place for what was it, ninety something days? Long time. But yeah. it was one of those. You just kept feeling that at any moment they were right on the brink. They never got 10 games over 500. They were basically taking advantage of the fact that Atlanta couldn't get out of its own way. Philadelphia was still trying to figure things out. Um, Bryce Harper was trying to figure out how to hit a home run with somebody actually on base because his first, I think, 17 were all solo shots. And it was just a matter of circumstances that the Mets were in first place rather than by merit. And that was the one thing keeping them alive was their pitching. And if you go and you just look at the Mets cursory look at their baseball reference page and you look at their first six starting pitchers that baseball reference had ranked, you know, as, you know, the top six in the depth chart, um, three of those six are on the 60-day IL. And the other one was not even on the 40-man roster when the season began. The only two left standing from opening day are Marcus Stroman and Taiwan Walker. Jacob DeGrom, 60-day IL. Joey LaCasey, 60-day IL. David Peterson, 60-day IL. And then you start looking at the depth guys that they brought in. And this was – they did a great job in the offseason, you know, building depth. Robert Gazelman, 60-day IL. 
Sean Reed Foley from the Stephen Matz deal, 60-day IL. Jordan, Yon- uh, Jordan Yamamoto, DFA'd by the Marlins, 60-day IL. It, it's almost just like a running joke. They have never used this many players in a Mets season in history. They set the franchise record for most players used. It's very reminiscent of the Marlins last year because um, uh, now the Mets are at like 61-something players total. It's absolutely insane, but I think they still have a chance because I, I don't think any team in this division from day one has run away with the division, and I still think that's the case. It's funny because we talk. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just gonna. I was gonna pass it on to you. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, because uh, we we talked about the National League East with I think it was just me and Vince uh, on one of the episodes way back in June, and we were already we weren't. Um, you know, celebrating the Mets division win. But I think we both had the Braves. I definitely had the Braves winning this division. And that prediction looked really bad because at that time, the Braves just, it's like the way that Sean describes the Mets, that's the way I was kind of describing the Braves. No pitching whatsoever. Uh, Marcelo Zuna's out. There's no hitting. They got nothing. (laughs) They got a lot to prove to us because they never make that big, big trade at the end. And lo and behold, now they're, back in the rightful place on first place. And even the Phillies have uh, overtaken the Mets. And uh, yeah, it's the injuries. It's inconsistent hitting. I mean, a lot of the guys that, aside from Brandon Nimmo, but a lot of the guys that, you know, people like me were counting on to um, supersede the Mets' expectations for this year are all struggling. Pete Alonso uh, with the 258 batting average is not that bad. And I know Sean's going to tell me that his strikeout rate is down and all that. But it's a 341 um, on-base percentage, which for a slugger like that, I wish it was a little bit higher. And that would be a big world of difference with the Mets. But Lindor's been struggling. Baez is struggling. Conforto has been really bad. Have you seen Um, him in the month of August? It doesn't matter. It's like too little too late. I mean, he's been hurt for most of the year. And and, and you can tell that I have him on my fantasy team because he has just – been killing my fantasy team's uh, chances for this year as uh, right field has because uh, we do left field center field right field and right field has been surprisingly hard to fill as uh, the COVID for, uh, shortened season last year really messed up a lot of uh, player eligibility especially in stricter leagues like mine and Conforto has really wet the bed uh, overall this season has a 339 on base percentage which is all right for him I guess all things considered but a slugging percentage of 360 and a 219 batting average which is I'm sorry, that's not why he was why we got excited for him in the offseason. We got excited for him because he looked like he finally had things figured out and that he was going to be a bona fide uh, everyday starter in this league. Dominic Smith, 302 on base percentage. And Jeff McNeil, that's the I other kinda, one. I kind of saw the Dominic Smith one coming because yeah. it, it, it yeah. was one of those he was hot from the second the season started. And we've talked about this ad nauseum on our own show is 2020 – uh, in terms of filtering out what was real and what wasn't, you could kind of take the players that were just fantastic yeah. and the ones that were absolutely atrocious. The, the two extremes, you really took with a grain of salt because you had guys that struggled for two months and just never got hot. And we know that these players can get hot. And then you had some players that were just raging hot and never got cold. And I think Dominic Smith really fell into that category as well. And then you had some guys like Pete Alonzo, who you mentioned in 2020, you look at it and you're like, oh, it was a down year, uh, 231 average, 326 on base. Uh, but a lot of the, you know, the second half of the year, he sh- the first month of 2020, you know, we say second half, but it was two months. <laughs> uh, the, the first month he was terrible. 
He just looked like he was going to try and hit 53 home runs in two months, which is just not possible. But then in the second month, the second half, uh, it was nearly identical to his first, you know, rookie of the year campaign in terms of Woba and expected Woba. Uh, it was really, it, it just, it didn't play out because when he did get hot, he ran out of time. It was yeah. two months. Yeah. And so this year has been really interesting to watch the guys that either didn't end last year hot or the guys like Michael Conforto who were in that camp of raging hot come in, struggle, get hurt, and then f- try and get some footing back, which it appears he has done because he has just been en fuego in the month of August. Yeah, well, speaking- too little too late for me, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> Go speaking, ahead. speaking of uh speaking of hurt francisco lindor has been hurt quite a bit this year and i feel like he was really supposed to be the spark plug that really pulled this team together and really made that playoff push especially with that big contract coming over from cleveland so what do you guys think about what's up with Francisco Lindor? Is it just the fact that he's injured? Was it the fact that it's the 2020 season coming into the 2021 season? Is it the big contract? What's the deal with Francisco Lindor? Sean, uh, I'll, I'll let you take that one first. Felipe. Well, I know that he's been hurt. I know that he's, I believe Sean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the calf injuries were a hindrance to him. when uh, Not, not this year. He but was, Cleveland, based, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the last few years. Yeah, it was Cleveland. And this it was the oblique muscle, I guess. Yeah, and, he, uh, he was healthy really... all year up until the middle of July. He had that oblique. And it really is unfortunate because in the last 44, 45 games right before that, uh, he was looking a lot like the Francisco Lindor of old. And when you break it down, he was in the last like 40-something games, uh, 129 weighted, run, weighted runs created plus, 266, 366, 460. Uh, the thing that really was confusing about Lindor's struggle was it wasn't, you know, he was chasing a lot. It was something that has plagued a lot of Mets hitters this year. They've been selective, but when they get a pitch to do something with, it just it goes right behind them. It just they, – they foul it off. And it's really a weird thing to see established, talented major league hitters do over and over is they get these pitches in the zone that they're supposed to do damage with, and they foul it off. And if you're not doing damage on the pitches you're supposed to do damage with, uh, your numbers are going to suffer. I mean, just regardless, you could be having a, the greatest approach of your career, like Michael Conforto has. He's cut his strikeout rate, cut the chase rate, walk rates up, but he struggled. And it, it's it's a very weird thing that seemed to be almost systemic in the with the Mets this year. Yeah, and then on top of that, uh, like you mentioned, it's there's such a thing as being too patient. I know we like hear the commentary and say, well, you got to be patient, got to be patient up at the plate. But what Sean and I have noticed is there is such a thing as being too patient. I think Lindor has a lot of that going along with the uh, injury and the health uh, issues that we talked about already. But uh, yeah, he he doesn't, he's, this is the lowest he's swung outside the strike zone at only 27 and a half percent, which is okay. But if you're not making any contact or if pitchers are going to consistently pitch outside the strike zone, because they're afraid of you, then you're going to have what, uh, you know, the thing that, Sean mentioned a guy already, Bryce Harper. There's a guy who sees very little pitches inside the strike zone, and people think he's a bum because he doesn't put up the uh, counting stats, that you know, the monster counting stats that we all expect from a guy who's supposed to be making all this money. But if you're, if you're not getting pitches to hit, you can't produce, right? right. You really got to reach outside. And for, uh, so as, as, uh, as well as not swinging a lot of pitches outside the strike zone, which is okay, but you know, that just means that he's not being aggressive. 
uh, like in years past, uh, his contact outside the strike zone is also well below. It's, it's a career low for him, 64%, according yeah. to fan graphs. And yeah, if you're not getting pitches inside the strike zone to, to, to hit, you, that means you got to reach outside the strike zone to hit those pitches. And if you're not making contact like you normally would in years past, I think these are the results because everything else shows a guy who should be doing a lot better than he really is right now. Yeah, and you mentioned with the uh, not getting you know good pitches, getting pitched around, quote-unquote. Uh, I, I really think that whole – it cascaded very quickly for the Mets because from May till really the 1st of July, it was a two-and-a-half, almost three-month period, uh, they went without guys like Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, Michael Conforto, J.D. Davis. All these guys missed about two months. Uh, only separated Nimmo and JD went down at the beginning of May Conforto and McNeil went down towards the middle of May and they both missed almost two months. And when you lose half of your lineup, uh, the guys that are left Lindor, Alonzo and Smith, especially with how good Smith had been in 2019 in a limited role. And as a starter in 2020, uh, a pitcher, they don't have to pitch to those guys. Uh, give me the leadoff hitter, uh, Jonathan VR. Uh, give me the leadoff hitter, Kevin Pillar. Give me uh, Wilfredo Tavar, who I believe played for the Angels. So that might be a name that Austin recognizes. You know, these guys were, that were just career quad A players, um, aside from Pillar and VR, who were brought in as depth, not as everyday starters. Uh, Janeshvi Fargus, uh, current and former Cub. Uh, Felipe might recognize his name. Nope. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll be honest, yeah. I have no he, idea. He, when he got DFA'd by the Mets, he went to Chicago. But uh, it was just such a weak lineup that the, you know, quote-unquote studs like Lindor and Alonzo that were left, uh, what pitcher in their right mind is going to give them a pitch to hit? And I I think that really affected Dominic Smith. Uh, He went from being one of the best hitters against breaking balls in 2020 to one of the worst. And the difference was he started getting less and less breaking pitches in the zone. And all they did was that they had to drop it off. And, of course, Dominic Spence is like, hey, I'm one of these few guys left. I need to get the ball in play. I need to knock in that run. We, we haven't got a guy on second all game. And then you get this kind of panicky, I got I to hit the pitch. And yeah. you, like you said, if you don't swing, you're not going to hit it. And so they feel like they have to swing. And next thing you know, you're in a seesaw and you're trying to guess pitches. And it just doesn't lead to a successful you know, offense. A right. couple of things about Dominic Smith, if I may, before I see to Austin here. Um, there's no DH in the National League this year. I think Dominic Smith, uh, you know, he benefited greatly with that rule in the National League that last year. He was able to get regular playing time for the first time in his life. Once you want to assess, but it's disappeared. Yeah, exa- yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Once he decided to go deuces, I'm out, you know. Yeah, we were was- live when that broke. I, I remember that. Yeah, yeah We well, were it's- live on a Sunday morning, and Henry came into the chat and said, uh, where Cespedes? I said, I don't know. I'm assuming with the Mets. I hadn't even looked at my phone yet. Oh, that was that was yeah, and then I season one moment. And then I immediately picked them up in all my leagues. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, wait, hold on. I gave Sean and all the other Mets fans in our league who were listening that day, I gave them like a five-minute uh, head start to go pick them up. They didn't. So the non-Mets fan in our league picked them up and – that helped me, uh, you know, march over the playoffs last year. So that was pretty cool. But yeah, the designated hitter was still around, and he was—I mean—that he was getting regular playing time at left field or first base, and he wasn't like right now. I'm looking at roster resource. He's platooning between 
uh, J.D. Davis and himself, uh, if we are to believe that that's the correct the platoon system being set up there with New York. Uh, and that's going to mess up a guy who got used to playing every day and now he's back to playing, you know, um, not as much as he was last year. Um, so I think that's part of the issue with Dominic Smith. And, and uh, Jeff McNeil, I got I to gotta ask you, Austin, how's that working out for you right now in our Yahoo League? Um, I mean, it's all right. I don't normally play him. I only play him if, like, I'm like, well, nobody really – nobody else <laughs> is there to play, so might as well put him in, maybe get a couple points. And there have been sometimes I'm like, yeah, Jeff McNeil actually had a good game. But other than that, he, yeah. he kind of sits on my bench for the most part. I, I use him kind of as a uh, – what do you call it? Like a utility guy just to fill a spot if I need somebody. Sean, check this trade. So I, I, Austin was going back and forth with me privately in that Yahoo league. Cause to me, that's a throwaway yeah. league. You know, it's a fun league, but it's a throwaway league for me. Yeah. I, don't, I have issues with it, with the scoring system, but whatever. But he asked me, uh, what do you think? This guy's offering me DJ LeMahieu, Kavan Vigio and Jeff McNeil. I'm like, where the hell is Sean for me to tell him this? Cause those are like two out of those three guys are like Sean's favorite players. Of yeah. All time. Like, I, I like, I like all those guys. Uh, but in regards to Austin rostering Jeff McNeil, um, if a very slight, totally non-reliable way of looking at a player or projecting a player, um, in March and April, he batted 196, struggled. In May, he batted 302, came back in June, batted 206. July, he batted 351. August, he batted 169. So you know what that means. He's just gonna go. He's gonna go. You know, crazy bonkers in September. He, uh, that's what I, I was just, selling high on Jeff McNeil, and he never, <laughs> never happened. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, it, it was it was three players. It was one. It was DJ LeMayhew, Jeff McNeil, and so, uh, somebody else. And Kevon all Vigio. three of them. It was like I don't have Kevon Vigio, but yeah, it was you one, dropped them. I didn't drop him. What? I've never had. I never had Vigio. All right. I'm, okay, go ahead. Sorry. I don't, I don't remember who it was, but it was three players for Cronenworth. And it was one of those like, well, I'm, I'm going to sell high on Cronenworth and get these players that are struggling a little bit. And it's kind of worked for me for DJ LeMayhew. So, you know, he's been a mainstay in my starting lineup. But, you know, other than that, um, moving Awkward. from – yeah. Moving from Jeff McNeil to uh, the newest Met. Javier Baez, um, what are your thoughts on Javier Baez being traded from the Cubs to the Mets? Is Javier Baez what the Mets needed? No, but in Sandy Alderson and GM Zach Scott, they played their hand kind of in the press conference. Uh, they said, you know, we made this trade because at the time the Mets had a four-game lead uh, in the division just to show how quickly things can change. Uh, they said we felt like we needed to make a move to show some support to the guys down there in the clubhouse because if they had a four-game lead in the division and they did nothing and they crumbled like this, oh, the, the front office would get skewered. I mean, they would get absolutely skewered. Granted, now they trade for Javier Baez. He ends up missing 10, 12 days because of a uh, back spasm. But he's just – he's not a complete player. Hasn't been for, you know, really three years now. Uh, the approach is whack. The swing and miss is whack. Uh, he hits for some power. That's nice. And the Mets did have an immediate need at shortstop with Lindor on the IL. And so I guess in that regard, it fit. But the cost, it was astronomical uh, for a rental uh, 
Javier Baez is a free agent at the end of the year. Uh, the Mets did get Trevor Williams, who's like the easiest non-tender candidate I think I've ever seen. But if you look at all the prospects traded uh, at the trade deadline, uh, Pete Crow Armstrong, the one who the Mets did trade, was ranked 11th. But I, I did a little finagling of the rankings here. If you take out the three that have already made their major league debuts, that's Nick Madrigal, Spencer Howard, and Abraham Toro. Now you're down to eight. And if you look at the top eight with Crow Armstrong eighth, he was the only one traded for a rental. Josiah Gray and Kybert Ruiz were in the Max Scherzer-Trey Turner deal, which Trey Turner's not a rental, and that was the big piece in that trade. Everyone can say it was Max Scherzer. It was not. It was Trey Turner. Yeah, um, Simeon Woods-Richardson and Austin – yeah, yeah, sure, there is a rental. Uh, Simeon Woods Richardson and Austin Martin in the Brios deal, which was an overpay, but at least Brios has another year of team control. And then you got had Kevin Alcantara go from the Yankees to the Cubs. Uh, Rizzo has – actually, Rizzo is a free agent, so that kind of throws they're, they're me in the water teams, here. by the way. All the Cubs players that got traded, the big three. R- Rizzo agents. was. Yeah, well, Rizzo All three was. of them are free agents. Well – Chris Bryant, the guy that got traded for him, yeah, he's, he's not he's not even in the top like ten. Oh, I, I okay. I thought yeah, I'm just, okay, looking at the, the the prospects that were traded. Yeah, um, I see. Go ahead. And then Ezekiel Duran, who went from the Yankees to the Rangers. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong is a guy who was the Mets' first round pick just you know a year ago, and then you trade him for a guy with a sub 300 on base who's a free agent at the end of the year, just to show your players, hey, I got your back. There's other ways of making showing your players that you have their back without giving up premium prospect talent. And look what the Braves did. They went they got Jorge Soler, Adam Duvall for pennies on the dollar. Um, and they've taken off. I, just, I, I think it was a gross overpay for a rental that is, could potentially really bite the Mets in the ass. Right. Yeah, and it's obviously not working because Fangraphs has the Mets at a 0.9% chance to even make the postseason, mm-hmm. even though they have the, according to Fangraphs, tied for the 10th weakest remaining strength of schedule with a 490 uh, winning percentage amongst all the rest of the teams they have to compete. So it seems like Baez is not who they needed and they got rid of a big prospect. Uh, Felipe, what do you think? Um, I, I've been pretty vocal about it at Dong City and on our own show, Total Bases. And I'm, I was pretty underwhelmed. This whole thing with the Cubs and Chris Bryant and Javier Baez and Anthony Rizzo. I mean, I guess I'm a little bit uh, sentimental towards the whole thing. I mean, those are the guys that, you know, brought the championships in 2016 to, Chicago, to the Cubs uh, after, what, 108 years of just toil and trouble. And then to see your favorite players, the players who brought that championship home, get underwhelming returns uh, for what they did and or actually for what they didn't do. Right. Because it's, it's, it's warranted. they not like Sean said, they had not been playing up to a par. They've not been playing up to speed and the returns on those trades show for it, at least from my vantage point. I know Sean's high on Pete Crow Armstrong, but I'm, I'm pretty underwhelmed by all the prospects that the Cubs got at the trade deadline. Not, not as, not one of them is making me, feel the way I felt when I was back in 20, what was it, 13, 2013, 2014, reading about Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, all those guys, Kyle Schwarber, Ian Happ, to a lesser extent. <laughs> but reading about those guys uh, in, in Baseball America or any other uh, you know prospect website, I'm not getting those that, that feeling. Now, it's going to be a while for a lot of these guys because a lot of these guys that the Cubs got are teenagers. 
Uh, even the guys who they got in the U Darvish deal, the teenagers, the four teenagers they got in the U Darvish deal, they're they're moving up the rankings. Uh, so that just shows you for all the people that were bashing the Cubs for you know getting underwhelming results in that deal. I, like we tell, like Sean and I talk about it. That those lists are dynamic; they're always changing. So maybe there is some hope. Maybe things will turn around. In my mind, as the years go on, and and as we get a full season of minor league baseball and these players develop, but as of right now, just I'm I'm a little bit um, sour on the whole matter with the with the Cubs and what they did and the, with these trades. Vince will tell you that it's it was necessary. I agree. You had to do it because your team was going to suck anyway. I mean, the day that they traded you, Darvish, that was the day that this team gave up on 2021. Yeah. But it still, it still sucks to see that the people that put you in that position, that, 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 in, the, in that championship window are all gone. And all you got with all these were all these, um, for lack of a better term, all these lottery tickets you got in return. So right, that's the way I feel about well, it. Well, it, it's like you said, you know, they, they got teenagers back in the trade, which kind of is reminiscent of, uh, when the Pittsburgh Pirates traded Josh Bell and Jamison Tyone in two separate deals, uh, the Pirates uh, GM is Ben Sherrington, I believe. And he actually said to reporters, uh, we wanted teenagers. We wanted younger guys. I mean, he went full R. Kelly. It was a little creepy. But, I mean, it was just a weird, like, you're, you're planning. You're saying, I don't intend to compete for four or five years. When you say something like that, you're saying, I don't intend to compete for four years. And that it is always a tough pill for fans to swallow. Every team's been there, unless you're the Yankees, then Yankees are ruining baseball. Yes. But as uh, Austin said, in terms of the Mets' chance to make the postseason, and you mentioned their strength of schedule, and really why they fell so quickly so fast. The Mets are finishing up after uh, Wednesday or Thursday this week what will have been 13 consecutive games against really the two best teams in baseball, the San Francisco Giants and Los Angeles Dodgers. Whoever scheduled them for 13 straight against them, just, I don't like you. You're a mean person. (laughs) And while the Mets were in the midst of that 13-game stretch and still are, the the Braves were busy uh, beating up on the Marlins and the Orioles, and it's like – Come on, you, th- that's how those standings shifted so quickly. Um, well, that on top of the injuries and go ahead. Well, with that though, yeah, it sucks that they got 13 in a row against the Giants and the Dodgers. But at the same time, if they made the playoffs, those are probably the teams you're going to have to go through at this point to get to the World Series is either the Giants or the Dodgers. Oh, yeah. for, so for sure. either way, they're going to run into them. Yeah, uh, that is 100% the case. The only thing that the Mets really have the hope of is the fact that if they make it to the playoffs, right now, like I mentioned from the the very beginning, the Mets have just so many starters that are injured. Jacob DeGrom, huge piece. And the Mets were, you know, holding out hope that maybe if they make the playoffs, then you can go to Jacob DeGrom, and in a best of five, he's pitching you probably two games, two or three. And you go to a a seven-game series, and maybe he goes three or four games. Uh, It – and anything can happen in the playoffs once you get there. I've always been a believer in that. Uh, we saw what the Rockies did, and I believe it was 07. I mean, they were just the hottest team. They weren't the best team, but they were the hottest right. team, and they just you know steamrolled through the playoffs. But the Mets have a chance to really make up ground here. Atlanta has the series versus the Yankees, and I believe 
Atlanta has to go beat up on Philly or Philly has to beat up on Atlanta. Meanwhile, the Mets are about to play, uh, I believe, 13 or 15 of the next 21 against the Marlins and the Nets. So it bounces out. And now, yeah, and, and now it's the time. Just as quickly as the Mets lost ground in this division, they can gain ground. And you have Lindor and Baez playing for the first time together tonight. Uh, you have Noah Syndergaard. Well, yeah, we're losing seven or like six to it one. It is fun. Or I six to nothing. It's going to be fun. Yeah, it's a, loads of fun. For me, it is. Um, yeah. Smile, fun, fun times. <laughs> and um, Noah Syndergaard's going on rehab. Uh, Jacob deGrom is getting an MRI tomorrow. But really, he's done for the year. I, I, I don't see him coming back. And without Jacob deGrom, it's kind of one of those what's – the point i mean you're gonna get to the playoffs and carlos carrasco is gonna be your winner go home pitcher with his eight era i mean it's a tough pill to swallow but like i said once you get to the playoffs anything can happen in 2015 the dodgers owned the mets and the cubs owned the mets and the mets beat them you know in back-to-back series so yeah but marcus i I believe the mets have a chance marcus stroman but it's gonna be tough Marcus Stroman has probably been one of their better pitchers, maybe even at this point their ace since Jacob deGrom has gone down, but he's no Jacob deGrom. Like Marcus, we know what Marcus Stroman is going to give us. So yeah. If you throw Marcus Stroman up against Kevin Gossman or Walker Bueller, or really any of the top three of the Dodgers, uh, any other team, the the top three of Milwaukee, uh, the Mets, suddenly go from having one of the best pitching staffs like they did in the first half to it's completely non-competitive. Right. So, all right. Well, that I think concludes our, um, I think that concludes our breakdown of the Mets collapse. Um, And if I understand correctly, Sean does have to go because, well, we all live a life and we all need sleep. So, uh, yes. Sean, I appreciate you coming on. and uh, Thank you so much for having me. Yep, thanks for coming on, and uh, I'll see you later, buddy. Yeah, and don't steal my host from me. I need him next week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. Have see a good you one, later. Man. Thanks. All right, so moving on with Felipe from uh, transitioning from where Javier Baez landed to where Javier Baez came from, the Chicago Cubs. So yeah. um, Felipe has already talked about the Cubs a little bit. I'll just give you an update on their uh, – what do you want to call it? On their trade deadline, their additions and subtractions here. So you had uh, the trade deadline subtractions. They traded away Jock Peterson, Andrew Chafin, Anthony Rizzo, Ryan Tapera, Javier Baez, Trevor Williams, Chris Bryant, Jake Marisnik, and Craig Kimbrell. In addition, they got back for these players, Bryce Ball, first baseman, Greg Diekman, first baseman, Daniel Palencia, pitcher, Anderson Espinoza is a pitcher, Alexander Vizcaino, who is their number 20 prospect now, Kevin Alcantara, their number 16 prospect, Bailey Horn, who's a pitcher, Nick Madrigal, who is injured, probably going to be their starting second baseman next year, Pete Crow Armstrong, who we've already talked about, is now their number five prospect, Alexander Canario, who's their number 12 prospect. Caleb Killian, who's a pitcher, 14, their 14th prospect. And Cody Hewer, right-handed pitcher. So you got a lot of prospects in return for these guys. Do you want to say any more on the Cubs' trade deadline before we look at their actually, like, terrible I got, lineup they got right now? 
Yeah, it's really bad. I mean, I got a lot to say about the Cubs. I just don't have enough time, but it's basically it's quantity over quality. It's the same thing that they did with Darvish, but at least those guys were uh, all four of those guys. Well, maybe three out of the four uh, uh, of those guys in that trade are promising uh, teenagers. Like I mentioned, Uh, I thought I saw, okay. So Brennan Davis is the number one prospect on that team on the Cubs right now and 14th overall, which is, I I haven't seen a top 15 prospect out of this team in a very long time. He looked very good. He looked very good at the futures game, Brennan Davis. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, but one of the guys that they got in the, in the Padres deal with the, with, with the U Darvish uh, involvement, there was Reginald uh, Preciado. Uh, and now he's in a top 120, according to Fangraphs, and he's number three overall. Kevin Alcantara, who they got also a teenager from the Yankees, number two on the team and 115th overall, according to Fangraphs. So the needle is moving up, but after that, it's, um, you know, nobody is on the, in the top 120. So, like I said, those lists are dynamic. The things could change at any time. But so far, um, it's been a lot of um, wait-and-see approaches. I mean, when you're dealing with young players like this, it is a wait-and-see approach. But we And Sean and Vince, they will tell me all the time, hey, you know, just relax. It's not that big of a deal. Um, what do you call it? Um, by the way, do you still, can, you, can you still see me and hear me? Yes. Okay, I just got a, a blackout. Like a, not a blackout, not a full blackout, but a, you know, a threat of a blackout right now. Oh. So there is lightning and thunder in, uh, outside my house. Okay. So the last couple of weeks, it's either been a tornado watch or, or a thunderstorm watch <laughs> when I do these podcasts. So uh, <laughs> pray for Felipe. Oh, um, what was I talking about? Oh, so, uh, but long story short, you know, I don't want to, you know, woe is me here, but. Uh, uh, Vince and Sean will tell me that those trades that, that were prevalent back in the day, back as, as little as three, four years ago, where, yes, give me that veteran player, and I'm going to give you maybe one or two prospects, uh, highly touted prospects, not just any prospects, highly touted prospects. Those days are gone. At least that's the, the thinking. Or unless there's a Max Scherzer and Trey Turner involved, those days are pretty much gone, if you are to believe what Sean tells me uh, about the matter. And that this was the only way to go because, you know, these, like Sean mentioned, all, a lot of these guys were rental players and we're lucky to ha- get anything in return in terms of uh, quantity, let alone quality. So we'll see. Like I mentioned, uh, those lists are dynamic. Uh, development is not linear. It's, it's, it can either go up or down at any moment's notice. Uh, so, but other than that, this is in terms of the big league roster, Austin, this must, this might just be one of the trashiest lineups <laughs> And uh, uh, big league rosters I've ever seen on this Cubs scene in a very long time. For those of you, for those of you that are not privy to what the lineup looked like before the trade deadline for the Cubs, let me just split the difference here and tell you what's going on in Chicago. All right. So the opening day lineup for the Cubs consisted of Ian Happ at center in center field, Wilson Contreras at catcher, Anthony Rizzo. At first, Chris Bryan at third, Jock Peterson in left, Javier Baez at short, Jason Hayward in right field, and David David Bodie at second base. Not the greatest lineup, but that's still a decently formidable lineup with Rizzo and Bryant and and Baez and all those guys. After the trade deadline, according to Roster Resource, the lineup, the starting lineup, is a bunch of nobodies at this point. You have Rafael Ortega in center field, Frank Schwindel, who was claimed off waivers from Oakland on July 18th playing first base. You have Ian Happ, who was leadoff 
now playing left field, batting third. Patrick Wisdom, who's actually had a pretty good season, playing third base. Matt Duffy at shortstop. Jason Hayward in right field. David Bodie at second base. And Robinson Chirinos at catcher because Wilson Contreras is on the IL. That's it's that's trash. A, that's a trash lineup. That's really but depressing. We did talk about Rafael Ortega and Frank Schwindel on last week's episode with Sean. Just because from a fantasy standpoint, you're just looking for any type of uh, uh, production. And uh, they've taken advantage of their playing time, you know. So maybe those are some pieces that the Cubs can trade in the offseason or, or maybe next year. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what you can get. But if Chris Bryant is only getting you maybe some, you know, fringe prospects, what kind of player is Rafael Ortega going to get you in return, you know, at yeah. 30 years old? Uh, the other thing I noticed about this lineup, with uh, if you include Sergio Alcantara as well, not a single player on the everyday lineup, according to roster resource, is over 25 years old. Matter of fact, if you go into the bench, not a single one is over 25 years old. I'm uh, uh, sorry, uh, 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 it's under 25. Sorry, it's under 25. So it's not even a, a good rebuild. This is just a transition period. You know what? Uh, Sean mentioned the Pirates, right? That's right. what the Cubs are turning to. Congratulations. That's what the Cubs fans want it. This is it. We are now the Pittsburgh Pirates of baseball. I hope everybody's happy with, with what they wanted. But, yeah, to, so to reiterate, not a single everyday player, every uh, a position player is under the age of 25 years old on this current team. Well, I mean, sometimes you can find diamond in the rough in the young guys. At least they got enough time to develop. But they're going to develop with their feet in the fire, I guess. They're going to have to figure it out in the majors. Um, I was going to, I was going to give you a grade on what, or I was going to ask you to grade what you thought the trade deadline in their future looked like, but I think your sentiments have already decided. <laughs> yeah, it's a us. big F you. It's a yeah. big F you. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, uh, currently short term, I give it a solid C, maybe C minus just cause I'm so pissed off at it. The whole thing. Long term, it is a lot of young players. And like I mentioned, it, this, this whole thing's dynamic. It's not linear. So a lot of these players can can hit, especially the the position players that they got, the Pete Crow Armstrongs, the Alexander Canarios, the uh, Kevin Alcantara's, even Nick Madrigal. Maybe he figures out how to hit the power with authority and not just up the middle and into shortstop or second base. Maybe he does that. But if you look at the rest of it, like the pitchers that they got, they're all in their mid twenties. They all have a lot of baggage. They all aren't. They all have limited upside. Uh, Bryce Ball, which was one of the first guys we got in um, from the Braves in that Jack Peterson trade, I believe. Right. Uh, he's he's playing a high A, but he's already like 24, 25 years old. He should be in the big league club already, right? Yeah. That's a big roll of the eye there. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I guess long term, just because uh, – so, I'm sorry, what's so funny? Go ahead. Uh, no, I'm sorry, I, you were laughing. Yeah, I was laughing at the he should be at the uh, – he should be at the big leagues and, you know, stuff like that. It's so funny to think about that. He's 24, 25 years old. He needs to be a staple in the big leagues. When before you were like, okay, he's still developing. He's 24 years old. He's fine. But, you know, with the prevalence of all of these 19-year-olds now that are making waves in the big leagues, we're like, 24, he's old. He needs to get there. Come on. Yeah, and I, I understand the service time uh, manipulation and all that, you know. Uh, but, uh, okay, so he's 23 years old, but he's in high A. I mean, come on. I mean, right. it's a young, it, listen, Austin, you of all people know, this is a young, young players league. If you're 29 years old, you're over the hill already. You're, you're right. it's like I tell Sean all the time, 29 is a new 31, 32 years old. Chris Bryant just got traded away and he's only 29 years old and he's already, you know, deemed yesterday's trash. Yeah. It has been. 
he goes to the San Francisco Giants and, you know, he's, he, you know, a little change of scenery does some players well, but we only got two prospects out of him. Not even good, pro- not even like, you know, um, I don't want to say they're bad prospects, but they're not slam, slam dunk is I guess what I'm trying to say. They're not slam dunk uh, prospects for a former MVP. You know what I mean? That's right. what's, that's what's griping me at this point. And I know it's a changing game. It's a different dynamic than it was three or four years ago, but still, I, it, it just makes me angry. Uh, right. and upset. So that's why I give it a solid C minus C, whatever. Yeah. Go ahead. So, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting because the two things that I think, first of all, you have, you know, you think back to the San Diego, uh, San Diego Padres traded the White Sox, James Shields. And, yeah. you know, they got a bunch of nobodies and we know how James Shields worked out. He didn't, he just became trash. And, Lo and behold, one of those guys that they traded James Shields for was one Fernando Tatis Jr. And now he's become one of the best players in baseball when before he was a nobody. So, I mean, you never know. You could have a Fernando Tatis Jr. in one of these 9, 12 prospects you got going on here. Um, The other thing that I'm noticing, though, is like with the addition of Nick Madrigal and the, you know, the David Bodies and the people and the Ian Haps and the people like that and getting rid of your power hitters, do you think that the Cubs are trying to change their ideology of hitting from swinging out of your ass and trying to hit as many balls out of the park as possible to maybe hitting more balls up the middle and getting on base a la 2015, what, 16, whatever Royals? Uh, Well, they, the, the biggest uh, thing about the Cubs is that they weren't necessarily trying to hit everything out of the ballpark. Although, you know, from an analytics standpoint, that's, that's the mentality is that, you try to hit the ball with authority to the gaps or even out of the field, and you um, that's an efficient at bat, right? I think the Cubs, because it is Theo Epstein, and that is the way that he won back in the day when it was in vogue to do so, and he had the players to do so, you know, the Manny Ramirez's and the David Ortiz's of the world, was not just, uh, just swing for the fences every time, but work the count, be super patient, don't swing at everything, which is the complete opposite of what you just mentioned, the Kansas City Royals, where the Royals were a very aggressive team. Uh, that's True. why they were able to limit their strikeouts is because they were so aggressive. And look at that lineup. All those guys, they, they, they're not waiting for that pitch. They're, 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 it's a different kind of uh, – same result, different way to get there, different approach to get there, right? Very and that was the I believe that was the Cubs. That was the Cubs' biggest downfall was having all those guys. Because when you're that patient – I mean, we're seeing it with Francisco Lindor. All of a yeah. sudden, you know, he stops being aggressive and he gets more patient. I don't know why, if it's had something to do with the way the Mets are doing things over there now. I mean, they got a bunch of guys just like that in Brandon Nimmo, Michael Conforto. Cubs had the same thing with Chris Bryant, Kyle Schwarber, who always led the league in pitches per plate appearance, it seemed like. Uh, the only guy who doesn't fit the mold is Javier Baez, and he used to drive us crazy here. But yeah, uh, but there is a different uh, – so it's not that – it's not a um, – the difference is not in the uh, swing at everything and launch everything on the air. It just happens to be that that's just the way this team looks like now because it's so crappy. But when you think of guys like Nick Magical and Nico Horner, it's, it's a different approach, a little bit more aggressive and a lot more contact. And that's something that the customer have been trying to do and instill in the, with the current roster for years now, and it just didn't work. And it finally just stopped working altogether, trying to combine both approaches so we'll see, but I mean, you got some guys and with the prospects that I'm I'm happy to get, and like a Kevin Alcantara who doesn't have that. I mean, Sean doesn't like him, and you know why? Because he doesn't have a good hit tool, right? But you know what, Kevin, 
you know what Kevin Alcantara does have, and I can only imagine as I double check with fan grabs right now and make sure that I got the players right, is that he has this big time power. So that power is not going to go away, Austin. It's the same approach. It's just a different way to get there, right? Right. Uh, this uh, Kevin Alcantara is a really good power speed combination player, but the hit tool is very limited. So we'll see how what he turns out to. But his upside is is there. It's good. Um, that's what you, those are the type of players that you need. Now, but, for some of our listeners that are maybe not very um, hip on the what a hit tool is, maybe you can explain what a hit tool is. Yeah, it's basically, I mean, the way I, I mean, Sean might have a different uh, explanation, but the way I see it, if I go into the Fangraphs page and I see a player's prospect uh, 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 page, right, the, their, their profile, and there's a prospect report, and the hit tool, it's, it's based on an 80 grade, right? That's the, like the common uh, scouty thing to do is grade everything on an 80 scale. There's no rhyme or reason, right, to any of this. It's just Yeah, 80 seems feeling. like a very random number. It is a very random. I mean, come on, eighty out of what? Why? Why not a hundred? I might. I would have done a hundred. Why not a hundred? Exactly. Exactly. But uh, the hit tool here is that for like uh, now I'm on Alexander Canario's uh, page. His hit tool is thirty out of forty. So his upside is forty. He's he's only at thirty. That means that he's very limited. But you know what he has? He has a lot of power, right? He has a lot of power. So that's going to be his calling card. Is that he's even though he's six one, one hundred sixty five pounds, he has a lot of power. So yeah. we'll see if that comes to fruition. So, uh, and then, uh, you know, to kind of balance all that out, Pete Crow Armstrong is the opposite. He's fast and he has a hit tool, decent hit tool, but he lacks power. So mixed back here for the Cubs with these uh, bigger name prospects that they got in, this, in these trades in the, at the trade deadline. Right. So I guess it's just a matter of wait and see, Cubs fans, wait and see. Um, I'm of the yeah, camp of, I'm of the camp of you needed to do it. It sucks to see Anthony Rizzo go. It sucks to see Chris Bryant go, but it wasn't working. You needed to do it. So yeah, I don't really, you know, I don't really see the point in bashing the front office because the front office did what the front office had to do. Could they have gotten better prospects, especially in the Chris Bryant trade? I believe so. But I mean, you got, you got people, you got some potential here. You got a starting second baseman. You know, it wasn't all bad. It's not great, but it's not all bad. So we'll yeah, just, I'm this. just letting people know. I mean, this, it's not all bad when the pirates trade away all their big superstar players, all their big promising prospects that they true. give up on and trade away for garbage. Very true. I mean, that not all rebuilds go linear, not all rebuilds go as planned. I mean, if it was, that was the case, then, the Royals would be good already, but they're not. Right. You know, even with their core players that they have now, they suck. I mean, look yeah. at them. Uh, oh, who's I agree. Gonna, the Marlins, you know, this is like what the second or third rebuild uh, cycle that they're going through right now. And now everybody's bragging about how good their pitching staff is with their young pitchers. But guess what pit, young pitchers are, uh, Austin? They're very volatile. You don't yep. know what the hell to expect from them. Yep. That's, so that's so true. Yeah. And, of so, course, the Pirates. The Pirates suck, as always. Well, and how long have the Orioles been rebuilding? And they're the worst team oh in the league. Oh, my God. I mean, I just talked to Sean about this. The, the, the guys that they were uh, optimistic about three or four years ago, they're finally all relatively healthy, and they're finally playing almost every day. The Cedric Mullinses, the uh, 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 DJ Stewart's, the Austin Hayes. Who, it was it Cedric Mullins, the guy who made the All-Star game this year or, the, or was getting All-Star consideration? The guy uh, we were talking yeah, about? Cedric Mullins, I believe, started. No, no, he came off the bench. Either way, it was Cedric Mullins. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, and, and then they got, the Orioles have nothing to show for it. You know, they still suck. They still are bad. They got no pitching. They got 
uh yeah even sean's like all the all the players all this all the pitchers that from the bullpen and the starting rotation that sean loved he they're not doing anything it's it's been a struggle right yeah, you, you can't bet on any orioles pitcher because they pitch half their games in camden yards so and not just camden yards but the ales too yeah. all those ballparks are a thunderdome of, of power there yeah so I don't know. No, it sucks. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the orders right now, man. And it's like, yeah, DJ Stewart's on the bench, but he's sucking. But at least he's healthy, you know, for <laughs> once in this. Uh, in terms of, like, everybody else being healthy, Anthony Santander is also in there in the mix. All these are the guys that the Orioles were banking on, like, two or three years ago. Hey, man, when, we're going to build these guys up, and they're going to be everyday players in our, uh, in, our, in our lineup. Well, they are now, and nothing. Ryan Mountcastle, nothing. He's on base percentage. is 307 at the moment. You know, Trey Mancini, as good of a story as he is, he's come back down to earth and he's on base percentage is 319. So you want to be the Orioles? That's how you become the Orioles. So. Yeah. <laughs> Continue to rebuild and keep sucking. Um, I mean, they have the worst record in the MLB yeah. at this point. They have passed, I guess if that's the word for it, they have passed the Diamondbacks for the, to get the number one pick in the 2022 draft. So... <laughs> and, and, and don't that's follow why, the uh, model and, that the Orioles awesome. I mean, following. But I mean, that's what this is. What this model is, though. I mean, you, you mentioned that that be patient. Yeah, we can be patient, but we also can't be. You know, okay, year one of the rebuild is gonna go like this. Year two of the rebuild is gonna go like that, and then year three of the rebuild. That's when you're gonna see a lot of these young guys come up and, and start dominating. It's not guaranteed. Right. Like I said, the Pirates have been doing that for years now. They then there's nothing, they got nothing to show for it. They got some promising prospects finally, but. They, I mean, let's face it. The Pirates are going to pirate and they're going to mess up and they're going to go back to what they're – I mean, okay, I, I better be careful because this might bite me in the ass. Like Sean mentioned, they do have a new general manager and they have a new philosophy of doing things. And, and I'm pretty sure it, it bottom, it, it's um, not affecting uh, – what's the guy's name? Uh, the owner. Is it Huntington or Nutting? It's Nutting. It's Nutting. Bob, Bob Nutting. Nutting, right? Yeah, and I'm sure Bob Nutting approves because it's saving him a lot of money. But they're uh, – yeah – I'm I'm, I'm going to be careful about bashing the Pirates because these are not the same Pittsburgh Pirates from before. There is something, there is a plan unfolding, but there's, again, there's no guarantee that it's going to work. Oh, I, still, I still took the Mariners to be this good with the, yeah. I'm sorry, what was that? Go ahead. I was going to say, I still see them trading away all their pitchers and then becoming aces on different teams. Who are the Mariners or the Pirates? The Pirates. Yeah, I mean. That's I could see that too. They just like, oh, well, I'm not paying him all this arbitration money. Get him out of here. Go, go get a veteran who's uh, on the downslope of his career. But yeah. same thing. I was going to mention the Mariners. I mean, you're in the AL West out there. I mean, the Mariners. We didn't think that they were going to be this good this quick with all their prospects coming up finally and all right. their players uh, finally blooming. It just, and, and we haven't even seen the best of their best prospects yet. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, it, it, there's no there's no room map to this it's just putting yourself in the best position to succeed in the future and at this point i don't think the cubs have that i mean basically like you mentioned be patient and be ready because it's gonna be a long ride is is all i'm trying to say here yep so hopefully not another 108 years but it will be (laughs) it will be a long ride all right so i think we've talked about the mets and the cubs agnosium today um, quite a bit and uh, they were they're two very fascinating teams trending the wrong direction mind you Mm -hmm. but they are two very fascinating teams in the MLB going from the what's happening on the field let's go to what's happening 
in fantasy because, you know, why not? Let's talk about fantasy because you and I are in a league together. Um, figured we could give maybe an update on some of our fantasy baseball leagues. Sure. Um, if you want, uh, I can start or you can start. doesn't matter. You can start. Go ahead. You can start. All right. Let's start with me. So I am in two leagues this year, which is a big downsize from last year. Last year I had like six teams and that I like fantasy baseball, but not that much. Like I was busy. Um, so I put it down to two teams. Uh, I have one ESPN league. It's a category league. I'm actually playing it with uh, Larry from the baseball, from the baseball life group. Um, in that one, we got a category league. I'm 14 and five. That's my record. I'm a half game out of first place with two weeks left. I'm the current three seed in the playoffs. Um, I've got pretty good offense, top, probably top three offense and my pitching kind of lacks, but you know, it's still not bad. Pretty good. Um, and then our Yahoo points league that you and I are both in, um, together, I'm four and three. I just beat Larry actually. And I'm four and three, six out of 10 in that league with six weeks left. Um, I've scored the sixth most points out of everybody. And again, I have probably one of the better offenses in the league, but my pitching sucks. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's not great. And I'm still trying to catch the strategical part of that league. And so it's so stupid. I hate this league. Yeah, uh, I so. regret joining it. I only did it as a favor to Mel our buddy Melvin, who's been on this on our podcast before. I don't know if you ever had him on your podcast before, no, but not yet. Uh, yeah, you might consider him if you want, because um, uh, he, he's he's something else, man. He's something else. He's very passionate about baseball. Oh, oh, oh and he has that uh, Facebook page, uh, Baseball Cosmos. Baseball Cosmos. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The thing about Melvin uh, is that he likes to talk about baseball from everywhere not just major league baseball but you know he'll he'll do a dominican league he'll do winter leagues he'll do what's going on in japan and all like it's it's what it is it's baseball from all over the world it's what, right. it's what his fan page is so go check him out there free plug for him um you're welcome but that, Melvin. by the way that that categories league is i guess it's a head-to-head -head, right it is head-to-head -head. how many teams are in there 10 okay so yeah i don't yeah uh, but the, in this Yahoo 10 team league, the points league, which is based on fan scoring, which I still, uh, and you guys, you know me, man, I do fan all the time. That's like my go-to website. Even when I don't want to do baseball, I still go to it just because, Yeah. um, even I can't figure out the scoring, but one thing's for sure. It's a daily league. So just pat those stats, rack up those points. If you have a pitcher that's going to start, that's what I wasn't doing before. Cause I thought I'm going to out slick everybody here. And I'm, I'm going to go zig when everybody's zagging. Everybody was zagging uh, for these starting pitchers, right? And I was the only one picking up all these relief pitchers because I got Josh Hader, our oldest Chapman, Edwin Diaz, like a dream bullpen. Right. I did, the, I did the same thing. I picked up Craig Kimbrell and Giovanni Gallegos. So right at the beginning of the draft, I still have Craig Kimbrell on mine, but yeah, it's not working. It's not working because this league penalizes you for having relief pitchers. Yes, it does. And and I'm stuck with these guys. I, I, I'm not going to cut them anytime soon unless they really are just atrocious. But in the meantime, you're, you're, you're banking on the fact that, well, they play more regularly than starting pitchers, so you might get some cheap points here and there from them. But in the meantime, the thing to do is just, you know, the day of the new daily lineup, just go and get starting pitchers. Just stack them up, rack them up. That's all you could do and rack up the points. Yeah, pick it, a starting pitcher you think is going to do well and hope for the best. 
Yeah, stream them every day. Cut the two, cut like the two or three worst starting pitches on your team, and just gets. Yep. It's just a really. It's not even very strategic. It's just so stupid. I. That's yeah. why I ask. Can we please have roster limits now? Or I'm sorry, waiver wire limits right now. I don't care. It's the middle of the season. We need them. And everybody said, "No, we can't do that. It's not. You can't change the rules midseason." Well, in this league, you need to because this is getting really dumb. But any at the at any rate, um, that's my. Well, and you're box. seeing you're seeing who's good at it and who's not because yeah. I'm sixth. I do it a little bit just because I have to, and you know I'm I'm not great at it because everybody I don't know how everybody scoops them up faster than I do because I wake up at like four thirty in the morning. And they're uh, all gone by the time I get up there. Well, that's your so, mistake, man. 4.30 in the morning Pacific time? Uh, yeah. Oh, well, okay. that's So 6.30, uh, 7.30 Eastern. A lot of these guys have already been up, man. You're, you're losing yeah, out. Probably. But that's the thing. Like, I tried to pick them up the day before, and they won't let me. The, the, the <laughs> system won't let me. So No, you got to do it the day off, man. I tried yeah. that before, and it's, it's some stupid rule that it won't let you do it. Uh, uh, but like you said, um, the, yeah, the day off. But a lot of these guys, I mean, I'm looking at the number of moves and all the bottom feeding teams have the least amount of uh, acquisition transactions. Yes. Including you and I, where we're, we don't even have 25 roster moves because I'm not dropping my good player just so I can pick up some body. Exactly. Screw that. Like I have Max Scherzer and I have, you know, I have all these starting pitchers that I like. I'm, you know, I only have like two spots to pick up starting pitchers. So I'm exactly. not going to. I'm not going to drop all of my the Max Scherzers because I'm never going to get them back. And people so. were trying to get a Garrett Cole from me in that league. Like, well, I'm, I'm looking at my lineup, and I'm looking at their lineup. Like, well, who am I? Well, I want, like, all these really good players. Are you willing to give up those really awesome players, like the Fernando Tatisas of the world? Yeah. And all of a sudden, these guys got quiet. You know why? Because they, all they want to do is lowball people. I'm like, no, you're, 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 this is the wrong guy to lowball, man. Yeah. That's why I kind of I mentioned in the, in the chat. Hey, I'm not looking to trade, but if you throw me an offer, I'll definitely take a look. But I'm really not looking to trade anybody. I, I like my team the way it is. I'll, I'll sink or swim with this team. Yeah. And then I realized, okay, well, because you know what the thing is, Austin? I don't know if you noticed, and you tell me if you have or not. But even if you get whatever starting pitcher, if they just go and take a fart on the field, that's like 12 points right there. Oh, for sure. It's so stupid. I hate it. But yeah. if they want to play that game, I could play that game too. I just, you know, I, I'd rather not. Because I drafted this team that I like so much. Go yeah. ahead. Yeah, and you know what? I was going to say the same thing because innings pitched for pitchers, I think, really helps because I'm sixth in the league out of 10, and I'm, it, I'm ranked seventh in innings pitched collectively for my pitchers. But everything else, like I'm fourth in home runs given up, second in walks, tied for third in hit by pitches, second in hits given up. I just I don't have enough innings pitched to compete with the rest of these guys. Exactly, and that's what's frustrating um, is that you have to make some really harsh decisions, and and I'm getting to that point where I got to make some harsh decisions. But yeah. I've been kind of getting away with just dropping like the worst starting pitchers on my team and just picking up whatever starting pitchers and just streaming, yeah. and my my fortunes have changed. So now I'm three and four after starting like what zero and two I think. Something like or that. something stupid like that. I mean, this it's yeah, because it's a middle of the league. It's a middle of the season uh, league. Yeah. It, it just kind of started in the middle of the year. Um, I will, I will say, I will say, I haven't really changed my strategy, and I beat Larry, who was five and one. Yeah, take that, Larry. Take and that, he's been Larry. Bragging about it. Yeah, 
he and I have already talked about it in the in a in a chat. So, <laughs> <laughs> so but other yeah, than I was gonna the, say, the, the I was gonna just quickly say yeah, like yeah. You, so you and I we have the lowest amount of transaction moves, like waiver wire ads and drops, and of course all the 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 the, the uh, top half teams, the the good the so called good teams, the winning teams, they have. I see here that the least oh yeah they all all have over 50 transaction moves so we got a lot to catch up on there uh austin (laughs) we gotta we gotta get moving (laughs) it's a stat padding it's a stat padding league it's so stupid i don't like those leagues yeah so other than the yahoo league how are you doing fantasy wise uh well i I, so i must not be doing very good uh, i'm not i must not be a very good points league person i'm in a head-to-head league that i've been a part of for 20 years it's a keeper league i've been in it since i was a teenager so um and it's 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 the league i look forward to the most because you know i help build it you know i I have a rivalry with all these grown men from all over the country (laughs) and uh i just can't figure it out it's the same issues that i I can't i don't know i just when i think i have things figured out you know shit hits the fan and and I'm struggling right now. Jacob the Grom has, I didn't realize how important he was to my team. Obviously I thought I had enough depth to kind of circumvent them, but that's not been the case. So the has been hurt a lot. You Darvish, who I acquired uh, recently got hurt. Carlos Rodon and Freddie Peralta, uh, who I uh, acquired earlier in the year, got hurt. Juan Mancada, who I also acquired in a trade inconsistent. I had to get Matt Chapman off. Uh, I actually got Matt Chapman in a trade. And now I'm just playing, and those are the guys who are replacing Eugenio Suarez and Alec Baum, who didn't do anything for me oh. at the beginning of the year. So I cut Eugenio Suarez and I traded Alec Baum away. And I've just been doing all these moves to kind of like you know, you know, you clog, it's like clogging up a hole of a of a dam, yeah. and only to see three other freaking holes spring up on you. And it's just been like that. Christian Yelich was hurt for a long time, and he and even when he's healthy. He's, He's not doing anything. He's finally coming around, but it's like, is it too little too late? And I think it is. I'm, I'm eight and 13 with only four weeks left to play. So I have a lot of things to have to go differently. A, a lot of luck has to go my way. Like a lot of bad luck has to fall on these other teams. And a lot of good luck has to fall on me just for me to make the playoffs. Cause only four teams make the playoffs and it's just not going to happen. And that's just sucks. I have the second most points in that league. And I have a losing record to show for it. It's like, this is ridiculous. I, it, it just, I, it's awesome. Sometimes I just want to grab my phone and just chuck it across the room. That's how <laughs> angry I get just looking at this league. So, um, and I, I, you mentioned, so what do you do in a point like this? Well, our trade deadline is August 31st. I try making trades, for, uh, get rid of some of these veterans and get some younger players and get some better draft picks positioning. And it's not happening. This league is like, uh-uh, we're not falling for you, Felipe. It's because like, people were trying to lowball me on Jacob the Grom like no I'm not gonna I'm not gonna trade away Jacob the Grom just for the sake of trading my guy away just so I can get something out of him right and this is before we found out that he might be out till September or even off for the season so people were trying to lowball me for Jacob the Grom and like no and I think that's the biggest misconception when it comes to this point of the year I don't know if you've uh, experienced that Austin or not you tell me if you have or not but people when they see that oh well this is a losing team I'm just going to try to low ball for some of the more established players. And I'm going to come out like a bandit because I'm getting a player that I, who's supposed to be really good. Now he's going to be good on my team and screw the other guy. Right. I don't know. Has that happened to you when people are trying to low ball for your, your players? So in the, in the Yahoo league, actually, it was really interesting because you and I had had that conversation of 
what do I do when people offer me trades and there's a player that I like and a player that I don't like. And I remember you telling me, don't settle, get whoever you want. And if it's somebody that you don't like, don't trade for them. So I did that. And you know, I would, these guys would come at me for DJ LeMayhew for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. For Shohei Otani for, you know, these guys. And they try to give me like two mid-level people that are nowhere that are not going to produce anywhere near the production level that Shohei Otani or, you know, any Guerrero or any of the pitchers or anybody that I have or anybody like that. So I would say, no, I will trade away Shohei for your two best players or your three best, but I'm not doing, I'm not going to do two mid-level players for Shohei Otani and then they're nowhere to be found. So I'm in, I'm in the same boat you are. Yeah. And that's a starting point. You know, I'll give me your two best players for my, for the premier player. Oh, that's too big. Well, what do you think is fair? Well, how, how what, are you going to give me your best player and your fourth best player, your third best player and your fifth best player from my number one player and number one player in the league? What's, what's the, what's the trade-off here? What are you going to give me? And a lot, it's, and that would be a fair deal. But what I've been getting was I'll trade you for your best pitcher and you'll get like my f- seventh best hitter and my ninth best pitcher. How about that? I'm like, no, I don't care that Jacob the Grom is hurt. <laughs> I know what I have here. I'm not stupid. I know what you're trying to do. And I'm not the one to do it with. And I was actually told that Brandon Woodruff is not even keeper material. That's another guy I was trying to trade away. Like Brandon oh, Woodruff. Well, no, Brandon was not even that. keeper material. Like, well, we can only keep five guys. And I'm sorry. I just listened oh. to a podcast, a very a podcast that I respect a lot from the athletic. And they put Brandon Woodruff as a top 10 pitcher for next year. If that's not five, if that's not keeper material in this league, I don't know who's keeper material then, I guess. So that's the, that's the frustration I've been dealing with. What, you don't know about Brandon Woodruff or you don't know of him not being a keeper? No, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know about him not being a keeper. I would have, I would, if he was in a keeper league and I had him on my team, I think he'd have been the first one I'd have kept. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just trying to do something different here because whatever I have is not working. I don't know what the hell. Yeah. But I mean, it's working because I have the second most points in the league. It's yeah. not working because it's not translating into wins and losses. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I have a, I'm a sub 500 team, and I'm the so-called fantasy expert. So <laughs> I'm, I'm the one who talks about fantasy baseball every week, and I have that to show. This is what I have to brag about, my crappy-ass keeper team. Um, and I, I look at my lineup, and I look at the other people's lineup, Austin. I'm like, there's no, God, there's no way on God's green earth these other teams are better than my team, but that's the case. So, but, we'll just blame anyway, it on the 2021 season. The, 20, the 2021 season is weird, so we'll just we'll go with that. Yeah, and it makes me wonder: Does my shit even work? Do I? What I? Am I giving people the bad advice? What? What? What am I? And I do question myself because I I'm really hard on myself, Austin. I'm really hard on myself, right? And like I got people like you asking me privately, "Hey, what do you think I should do here, there, and the other?" And I feel bad because am I giving him the right advice or am I giving him the wrong advice? And it really questions me. And then I look at my my other twelve team, the other keeper league that I'm in with Sean, and that's a categories head to head league. And I am whooping everybody's ass. <laughs> so I must be doing something right here, Austin. So, uh, uh, yeah, people, you know, were making fun of me because I picked up Kevin Gossman maybe too early. And I think you and I talked about it uh, a while back ago, either on this show or privately, that the other guys that were available, I'm, I'm sorry, I did not feel comfortable get, uh, drafting Kyle Hendricks or Kian Jr. Ayu at those spots. I wanted Kevin Gossman. He was my guy. That's the guy. I trust it. And, and I got, and if you remember, if, I don't know if you were there for that episode that was live on Facebook at baseball life, but people gave me so much grief about drafting Kevin Gossman where I drafted him. I was there. Well, who has the last laugh now? 
Yeah. I'm happy. My, my, I'm in first place. I know Gossman's been struggling, but so has Woodruff has been struggling. Jacob the Grosso were to be found, you know? So Lucas Giolito, who's also on my team in this uh, uh, categories league, also struggling. So you're damn if you do, you're damn if you don't. But you know what? I sleep good at night because I got the guy that I want. I didn't wait around. And, 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 oh, I hope I get him later in the round. hope no one else noticed the guy who broke out in San Francisco with a good team and a, and a big ballpark to play with. So I'm, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm happy yeah. with, with my choices in that league. I, I'm able to get, you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Rafael Devers on the same team. Those guys weren't even my keepers. I just Ooh. got those guys drafted because no one else believed in them, but I did. Yeah, that's that's a good uh, – those are good pickups, good combo. Yeah, and then uh, Sean traded me Luis Robert because he didn't like him, but he wanted Jared Klenick from me thinking that he got a, a good deal out of it. Well, I'm happy with Luis Robert even though I had to wait this long, you know, for him. Uh, who's the other guy? Sean gave me so much grief, and a lot of people gave me grief about drafting Dalton Varsha where I drafted him as my third catcher. Well, guess who has the last laugh now? Waited this long for Dalton Varsha to break out. Never dropped him. Kept him on my bench, cogging up a space uh, on my on my on my roster. But now, who's pay, who has the last laugh here? Now, Austin, I yeah, on the, on the Diamondbacks, Me. who is the worst tanking team I've ever seen in my life, led by yeah. offensive performances like Dalton Varsho. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I mean that's what you want to see if you're you're rebuilding. You want to see your your guys that are supposed to be good, you know, good prospects. You want to see them develop and and break out like Dalton Varsho is. Yep. So Very that's what true. you want to see. That's that's that. I mean, that's that makes for a promising uh, future right there. I think that's yeah. that's just me though. So we are. Uh, sorry. No, no, no. That was done. Go ahead. Okay. So we are. Uh, so we're getting into the playoff push. A lot of people are starting to like. I have two weeks left in one season. We're getting to the end of some of these fantasy seasons, and the playoff push is coming. And, you know, I know you said the trade deadline is August 31st for your league. So some people are still trying to trade and get some of those pieces that they need for the playoffs. But maybe talk about what about for guys who may be like in my leagues where the trade deadline is now passed and you can't trade anymore. What's your advice for people maybe in position for the playoffs and uh, maybe for people not in position for the playoffs for these last few weeks in their uh, fantasy season? Well, it's the same advice for both uh, sides of the spectrum there. Uh, work that waiver wire, unless there's like limits. Uh, I know that that's going to be, that's a popular thing now is adding limits to how many people you can uh, uh, add and drop on your fantasy teams. But the waiver wire is going to be your best friend. You're going to live on the waiver wire. And, and it's not necessarily guys who are, you know, in the big league roster too at the moment who are playing every day. You could be also looking at minor league players as well. Uh, Sean and I were going to do an episode this week um, talking about certain minor league players who uh, we were going to look at the minor league uh, uh, numbers and there were certain players that we wanted to take a look at uh, at least I did who are performing somewhat uh, this year uh, who are lesser known names just because they're lesser known names doesn't mean that they're they might not do anything for you they might get called up and they might be asked to start a couple of games here and there against really crappy teams and that's about the time where you take your fantasy savvy and take advantage of that situation, whether you're on a bad team or, or on a good team, because you still want to play the role of spoiler. I mean, oh, well, I'm in dead last. Uh, I know that's a big uh, hurdle to climb in redraft leagues, but it's like Herm Edwards say, you play to win the game. 
Right. I'm sorry. You might be last, but I, I, I'm going to work that waiver wire. I'm going to set my lineup every week or every day, whatever the case might be. And I'm going to just give up a good performance just because that's just my nature. I'm very competitive like that, Austin. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not, it, the season's not over until there's no more games to be played. And that's the way I view it in all my fantasy leagues. So it, it's football, basketball, whatever the case, you just keep playing. You keep grinding it out. That, you sign up for this. You pay the league fee for this. It's not football season until there's no more baseball season. Uh, Cause I know a lot at this point of the year, people are like, you know, looking towards fantasy football, which is like the worst fantasy sport ever. Cause uh, <laughs> it brings out all the, uh, um, oh, I, yeah, I hate fantasy football, and every year I'm, I'm playing fantasy football just because. But it, it brings out the worst people ever. And those people, they don't care. There's, like, certain uh, unwritten rules and, and guide code nonsense that we, people must fall for almost as long as fantasy baseball. And I play the same way I play fantasy baseball. I play to win the game. I don't care if I'm in dead last or in first place. I'm going to be aggressive on the waiver wire. I'm going to be aggressive uh, looking for talent to help my team. And if you don't like it, then get out of my league. Go play with against other casual fans, you know? Right. But, uh, yeah, I think it's the waiver wire for both a good team and a bad team. And if you're in a keeper league uh, – are you in keeper leagues there, Austin? Uh, I am in one keeper league at least. Okay, yeah. Well, uh, if your team is bad, start looking for prospects. You know, start looking for young talent. Start looking for uh, – I'll give you a good example. And it's not the best example, but it's the one that kind of has recency bias here. Uh, in 2019, I, I believe it was 2019, in September, uh, I had the option of uh, either sticking with a veteran player who had no upside and was probably not going to start anymore in the following season. I can't remember the guy's name. But I remember that I had a choice between that guy or Kyle Lewis, who was just sitting there on waiver wire where nobody's touching him. I'll pick up Kyle Lewis and take a flyer on him and see if anybody wants him next year or if he even becomes a keeper candidate if, if, he, if, he, uh, if, if his stock improves. Or if you hear uh, you know, optimistic reports out of spring training that, oh, Kyle Lewis is doing better than ever and he's, gonna, he's hitting the ball with more authority and uh, he's being more patient, you never know. But you want to take a gamble on that upside as opposed to, oh, I'm just going to stay with Anderson Simmons because I've been with him all season long, so I'm just going to stick with him. No, you don't want to do that in a keeper league. No, you're going after those 23, 24-year-old guys who, uh, are sh- who have shown some promise in the minor leagues, who have shown some promise uh, in those two or three weeks uh, being called up in September, um, and who have, uh, have a decent scouting report and pedigree, right? Right. You know, that's the time to do it. This is the time to do it. You stockpile on talent, and, and that's kind of the opposite of what I just said. You don't give up. You don't give up. But in a keeper league, it's different because you, you, you have to play for next year. You have to account for that therefore work that waiver wire get the talent what about people that are maybe in that middle that are still prospects but maybe haven't done as well in the mlb people like jared kalenic do you look at him for your keeper league or Man, i'd be so shocked if a jared kalenic is available and in, in any keeper or dynasty league you kind of if you have jared kalenic you kind of just have to suck it up and hope that he um starts playing up to his potential uh, uh, the way people were uh, clamoring that he would be. I'm, all, I'm, I'm checking it out right now to see what his ownership rate is on cbssports.com. That's like my go-to. Because uh, I, I, CBS, from what I, I believe, is a, is a pay-to-play league uh, website. 
and he's been doing a little bit better since being called up, but then he's been struggling again lately. He's owned in 66% of leagues. So there, I guess there's a chance you might get a very, a, a, a very slight chance you, you might, it might, he might show up on your waiver wire. But if you're a middling team or you're a struggling team and you're already playing for next year, why wouldn't you go after a guy who was supposed to be a top five prospect? Go pick him up now. Stop listening to the show and pick him up right now. <laughs> uh, right. I'm trying to look on. E- I'm trying to look on ESPN to see where what his ownership rate is here um, in this league. But let's see. So players. Anyway, yeah. So there you go. There's your advice. Go ahead and pick up people like Jared Kalenic. Go look for other people that are. Um, that are highly touted prospects because you never know. You may run into somebody that's that good. Uh, let's see. Jared Kalenic in ESPN is owned in 36.5% of rosters. Um, and then the Yahoo league, I'm sure is somewhere in the middle. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who knows? ESPN, Yahoo, those are uh, free websites. So yeah. it's a lot of people giving up and not, taking it seriously because we know football season is right around the corner right cbs though um that's you got to pay for it you got to pay the website fees so i think people take those a little bit seriously and that's a a better indicator as to how things are going at the moment uh and jerry kalenic since uh july 16th i don't know i just have this random thing uh actually this is outdated already so let me let me yeah since okay so let's, let's put it july 16th jerry kalenic's on base percentage has been 270 so Again, I'm just saying that because you know I traded that I traded uh, Luis Robert, I, I acquired Luis Robert for Jared Kalenic from Sean, and I just want to run my little victory lap. So I do know what I'm talking about. So yeah, <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, Austin, really quick, is uh, trades in general. And again, I think one of the biggest mistakes I see is that people they get discouraged when they they try to make offers to like the other teams, and they're not, no one's biting. And they get desperate and they like, I got to make a trade. I got to make a trade. Like, don't make a trade just to make a trade. That's like the worst thing you can do. I think a lot of people, they get off of it. They get, you know, I don't know what the hell's wrong with these people. They get off of it. They, uh, they, they have an ego boost when they make a trade. They feel like they accomplish something. Sometimes the best trades are the ones you walk away from. And, and the other guy's going to, the other person, sorry, because women play fantasy too. The other person is just going to try to lowball you at every turn and devalue your player. I think what a lot of people, what I hate is to hear stories about, oh, well, I had to trade him because I don't think he's going to be this good forever. I think there's holes in his game and I needed to get rid of him. So I just got whatever I could for him. I'm like, okay, well, why are you devaluing your own player? The other owner doesn't need to know. I mean, if the other owner is talking to you to get a certain player on your, on his team, he doesn't care that he's only hitting 219 against left-handed hitters because he's hitting 290 against every uh, overall. You know, his on-base percentage is like 360, 370. It doesn't matter. Don't give him that info. Don't don't go with that mentality like, oh, well, you know, I got to get him out because he, he strikes out too much. But, but dude, he's hitting 30 home runs. Just don't deal away a guy who's uh, uh, striking out 30% of the time. Deal away the guy who's hitting 30 home runs and, and knocking in 80 RBI. You know what I mean? You know what I'm trying right. to say here? Yeah. Trade people with some sort of value because you want to trade them away, not necessarily because you just feel like you need to get rid of them. Exactly. And, and, and don't, don't lowball your own players. That's what the other guy's already doing. Talk them up. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, people who have Jared Klenick, oh, oh, I wish I, I, can I trade them? Is this the time to do it? Yeah, trade them. But 
with the mentality, hey, I got a top five prospect here. So I know I'm not going to get the value that I thought I was going to get when he was uh, getting all this hype at the beginning of the season. But I still have a top five prospect. And then whenever he turns it around, you're going to want him on your team. And I know – and that's – I mean, yeah. Otherwise, you're just trading away guys just to trade them away. And that's, like, that's a recipe for disaster. Right. All right, so we've pretty much ran the gamut here. We've done the uh, we've done the real life MLB. We've done the fantasy baseball. So I think we're gonna wrap it up with last call. So last call, Felipe, is a segment where um, it, me and anybody that's on my show can share a personal baseball story. It can be anything from a baseball or any story that's related to baseball. Um, you got a story to share? Like personal, right? You said. Yeah, something about something about you related to baseball. All right, I mean, I, I was gonna mention because I'm both a Chicago Cubs fan and a Chicago White Sox fan, and I was gonna mention how that happened. But you know what? I'm I'm gonna throw a curveball at you right now. Okay. And I, I'm gonna say that I did not attend a baseball game in person until I was in my early 20s. Wow. So this was maybe 2006, 2007. Uh, I was maybe 23, 24, maybe. Anywhere between 22 and 24 years old. So I was already old by baseball centers, right? <laughs> I, I need to be in a big league game. Otherwise, I'm too old to be in one. Uh, so, yeah, if I ever catch a foul ball or a home run ball, I'm not giving it to a kid because that's my first ever ball because I, you know, I never had a chance. Or maybe I'll take a picture and then I'll give it to the kid. But I want proof that I caught something, right? But, right. no, uh, I come from an immigrant Mexican family. And my dad, all he, all he knows is work, sleep, eat. And go back to work. I mean, my dad at one point was working three or four jobs just to maintain the family. And he was not a sports fan. He didn't see the point of anything to this. So when I started getting into sports just as a way to make friends and give me something to do and give me a hobby and a pastime, I was suddenly seen as the weird guy in the family. And my uncles thought I was gay or something because I, I had posters of Nolan Ryan on my wall. And actually... <laughs> Yeah, uh, actually, my uncle, uh, he's not going to admit it, but my uncle actually did tear down my Nolan Ryan poster because he thought it was, a, it was gay. And, you know, wow. you, know the negative, you know, the negative connotations that come with being gay or whatever. You don't want right. your nephew to be gay and so stupid. And, but, uh, no, I was the only person in my house, in my household, and, and, you know, I'm Mexican, so there's like 20 of us living in that same household, right? You know, wink, right. wink. Stereotypes are true, right? Uh, no, but it was, yeah, I had like two or three of my uncles living with us just while they get their, um, you know, get their life together. You know, again, it's, uh, yeah, you're not just maintaining your family, but you're also maintaining the family back home. So it's just cheaper that way to live with everybody else. And, and who better to live with than your family, right? Right. But I was the only one in a, in a household of like 10, 12 people who enjoyed sports. So I never got taken to any, baseball game when i was a kid i was not made to play little league i never played baseball in my life oh well why do you know about talking baseball if you never played baseball just shut the fuck up is what i tell you i know more than you buddy <laughs> and i remember i remember talking i was uh, i i bumped into this one guy a white Sox fan uh going to my doctor's visit and he saw that i was wearing a cubs t-shirt and he goes oh man i feel sorry for you your team sucks you know and I go, yeah, I might. I mean, they suck right now, but bro, have you seen our farm system? It's fantastic. I got Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez. This guy looked at me like, who? Huh? <laughs> and I, what I should have said was, 
Yeah, wait a couple of years when when they win the championship, you disgruntled, miserable White Sox fan, you. Because <laughs> most White Sox fans are miserable. Um, but and I can say that because I'm a White Sox fan. Ah, you're a fake White Sox fan. But uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, I um I so that yeah, uh, sports was something that I was doing with my friends and not with my family. And I mean, I played you know 16 inch softball. I mean, that's a Chicago staple here, but like actual baseball, like with the hard ball, with the league ball. No, I, I never got around to it. Not even, not even stick ball. I, and I think uh, I once uh, uh, threw a ball at my friend's face and that was the end of it. We never, uh, we never played uh, uh, overhand baseball ever again, but uh, I mean, we fought, we, we watched it. We would play with it. I used to go into my front yard and get a stick and, and some, and the acorns that fell to the ground and just start swinging and hitting them uh, to, you know, emulate the batting senses that I would see on TV. Um, just have, it was a simpler time back then, Austin. It was really right. awesome. But uh, no, I mean, I think that's the reason I became a White Sox fan and a Cubs fan because nobody, there were no adults telling me that I couldn't do that. My, par- my, my parents didn't care. They, they don't even know what a White Sox is. They think, well, White Sox, that's in the laundry mat. <laughs> it's in the dryer. Go get some if you need some White Sox because they're, they're in the dryer right now. So that, that's, that's my story I, coming from no baseball game until uh, in real i didn't see wrigley field actually i didn't i did not see wrigley field like the actual ballpark where i'm in the same block as the ballpark i did not see the actual stadium uh, uh, the outdoor of the stadium until i was 22 years old when i met my girlfriend she oh, she wow. surprised me by uh, she surprised me by driving me cuz i told her i i've never been to a baseball game i never been i don't even know what wrigley field looks like I'm only on tv and as i'm telling the story and she's driving she takes, you know, turns here and there. And next thing you know, as I'm talking, blabbering on like I am right now, Austin, there it is. And all her majesty, Wrigley Field, a place I've only seen on TV. Brother, I, I almost cried. I, it, I, I would too. <laughs> <laughs> you know me, I'm, I'm a numbers guy. I don't care about your narrative. I don't care about that Pollyanna bullshit. No, I'm all, you know, give me the straight facts. But that I felt so much nostalgia and sentimentality there uh, that I, I nearly got uh, broken down into tears just because I was no that was like the nicest thing anyone's ever done to me and to this day uh, my girlfriend is my my wife and we have a child together and it's I guess I that's when I knew that she was the one right so right <laughs> taking and, uh, you to yeah. a baseball game taking you to Wrigley Field I think I'd do this I'd turn to her and be like you're a keeper <laughs> yeah and, and and this is during the off season so there's no games we're not actually going we're just looking at the outside and it wasn't until a year or two later that she takes me to my first Cubs game uh, with her and her friends and and uh yeah that, that was a very special moment it was i think the game was against the pirates and it's a night game it was it's so special um right. so yeah when whenever my daughter's old enough i'm definitely taking her to all the games as, as much even though it's baseball oh girls are not supposed to play that's a the softball is their game I, i'm gonna take her to as many games as i can for sure you know what i will tell you i always like respect a girl that is like a baseball fan ladies be a baseball fan who cares like be a baseball fan do it because <laughs> trust me it's 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 cool i like that story that's a good story yeah thanks for letting me tell it man i i don't tell that story to to, to a lot of people well i pre- um, I appreciate you telling it on this podcast for sure uh i'm interested to see if anybody has similar stories like i do uh i mean i'm, I'm pretty sure you uh, growing on the uh, growing up in the Inland Empire, you, the, the baseball was like your world. Um, I'm I'm uh, I'm assuming like so. Yeah, that was actually the story I was going to tell. I was going to tell how I became an Angels fan, but um, with that one, I think 
it really brought up how I fell in love with baseball. So Mm -hmm. I grew up very opposite. My father was a big baseball fan. He played baseball as a kid. He was a Yankees fan. And I remember the moment that my baseball journey started was I was sitting on the couch. I was like five or six years old eating whatever five or six year olds were eating for breakfast at that time, fruit loops or whatever it was. And, um, I was sitting there watching an early white Sox Astros game. And I turned to my dad and I said, dad, and before this, so I, <laughs> I played other sports before I played baseball. I, I played soccer, um, when I was like three or four and I didn't, I just couldn't do it. And, you know, I did karate and I did karate for a long time, but it was one of those things like I was a very squirrely kid and didn't pay attention. And so um, my parents put me in sports and extracurricular activities to get my energy out. Yeah. And I'm sitting there eating my cereal during this baseball game. And I turned to my dad and I said, dad, I want to play baseball. I want to play little league. And my dad immediately, let's go. Let's go, son. He's so, been waiting. <laughs> yep. So I went, I went six years old playing, you know, playing baseball. And I'll tell you what, I was not good <laughs> to start. <laughs> I was not good. Um, I could barely, I played second base and could barely get the ball over from second base to first base, you know, and I couldn't hit the ball. I wasn't really great. And then it wasn't until I became about nine years old when I really decided Baseball was what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to play baseball as a professional. And so that's when I really started taking it seriously. And my dad was there the whole way through. And um, I played, you know, high school. I played college ball. And baseball was my life for a very long time. Um, And so, yeah, and it all started with that. Dad, I want to play baseball. Okay. (laughs) That's simple. You know, and now I'm not playing baseball and God, I tell you what, I miss playing every single day, but at the same time, I found a new way to have baseball in my life with this podcast and, you know, watching baseball and being part of the baseball life group, you know, it's really found, you know, founding newfound passion in baseball rather than just playing, even though there's always going to be a place in my heart for playing baseball on a daily basis. Cause that's what I did from when I was six to when I was 20, I played baseball almost every day. So. Oh, so it's the, quite the opposite of what my upbringing where I was opposite. just, a, I was a spectator, not a player. Um, <laughs> Although I did not, I mean, you were, you were an adult. I don't think I saw my first baseball game, my first big league baseball game until I was like, I think I was like 12 or 13, maybe 14. So, you know, you see these little kids at the stadiums go and watch, you know, and they're like six or seven years old. And I didn't, you know, the the earliest one that I can remember of a big league game anyway was 12, 13 years old. Um, And I went and saw the Angels. And that one was with my father. And I believe my grandfather was there too, which I hold as a dear memory because my grandfather has now passed away. So, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you listen to it and you have your grandfather sitting there telling you, oh, this is where the L.A. Rams used to play. And we used to we used to come in here. I had season tickets to the L.A. Rams just to watch the other team because the L.A. Rams suck. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's 
it's one of those memories that first baseball game and that first time you see a baseball stadium, you just, you never forget it. Yeah. Uh, well, until dementia kicks in and stuff like that, but <laughs> way to put a depressing spin on it. <laughs> I can't help myself, man. That's the way it is. I don't do this Pollyanna nonsense, but no, that's, that's awesome, man. I, I, I wonder how differently my life would have been if I did have that support from the family, especially my dad. Um, but it, it was not, but yeah, but we're, we're in this, well, it's this, that's the, uh, what do you call it? That's the theme of the show, right? Uh, different approach, but same results. We're right. both doing a podcast to, cause we love this game so much that we can't, we just can't sit around and watch and just idly stand by. We got to do something, whether it be, we got to be proactive. So exactly. Uh, I think, it, yeah, it's just, so yeah, different, uh, paths in life, but you got the same exact results. So I think that's pretty cool. Exactly. Yep. I thought that was pretty cool too. All right, so that I think that concludes the episode. You got any uh, lasting remarks? Maybe uh, uh, plug the podcast one more time. Yeah, that's the Total Basis Podcast. Uh, right now, uh, we we usually go live on Facebook at the Baseball Life uh, Facebook group. Um, so join us there if you're not in there already. Um, we try to go every Monday night before we're going every Sunday morning. And right now, everything's in limbo just because, like you mentioned, uh, or like you saw with Sean, his schedule's all murky and my schedule is getting really heavy at, uh, at my bread job but uh we'll we'll try to uh come up with new episodes here and there as much as we can but it's a total basis podcast where fantasy and reality baseball mesh together in the baseball life fantasy group which is better than espn <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah well no, i mean you're still gonna have the hot takes but you know <laughs> You're always going to have hot takes anywhere you go. Just I think our hot takes are better than ESPN's hot takes. I know, but talk about the hot takes. I want some, I want some hot cakes. That's what I want. <laughs> uh, all right. With that, that concludes the episode. Thank you, Felipe, for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for having me. And as always, always, I always enjoy talking with you uh, about baseball anytime. Same here, man. Same here. That concludes the epi this episode of Round Trippers for my guest, Felipe Melicio. I am Austin Spiro. Thank you so much for listening to this, epi this episode of Round Trippers. And uh, tune in next week where we will have a brand new episode of the podcast. And until next time, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one.